Today, from the Global Lane, parents of an Assyrian humanitarian priest kidnapped. Other Christians arrested in Turkey. And in Iran, Christianity grows as anti-Ayatollah protests spread. American homelessness, it's at levels not seen since the Great Depression. Is Trump to blame? And Amazon purchasing in the palm of your hand. Mark of the Beast or Smart Commerce? And it's all right here on the Global Lane. An urgent call to prayer for an elderly Assyrian Christian couple missing in Turkey. The couple, Hermes and Shimoni Daril, are the parents of outspoken Chaldean priest Remzi Daril. They've been missing for more than a week. And here to fill us in is Juliana Taimarazi. She's founder of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council and senior fellow at the Philos Project. So, Juliana, tell us about this couple. Who are they and what happened? Uh, the Daryl couple is uh, an Assyrian Christian couple that have lived in Turkey all their lives. They were born in Turkey. Uh, what has happened for the past about 30 years, the PKK conflict with Turkey has really pushed out a lot of the Assyrians from their indigenous lands. And the Daryl couple it was one of them. About 10, 11 years ago, they decided to return to their village to rebuild it. Their expertise is honey making, and their honey is really famous throughout the country. Uh, and as you know, Father uh, Ramzi Daril is a phenomenal priest who has dedicated his whole life to the cause of the persecuted church in Iraq, those who have fled to Turkey. So he single-handedly has served 7,000 Iraqi Christians who have been living in Turkey since 2014 and 15. And uh, now we see that they have been kid kidnapped, unfortunately, his parents. We believe, according to one of the eyewitnesses in the village, who is their own relative, uh, there were Kurdish uh, people, Kurdish men, two Kurdish men and one Kurdish woman that came armed, and they took the parents on the 11th, which was a Saturday of January, and they took them away without—we uh, don't know the reason. No one has reached out to us or to the family. They have not asked for ransom, so we don't know what's happening. And this is why we really come to you, all of you, to ask for prayers, because these are critical, critical hours as investigations have become more intense. Juliana, I know there was a candlelight vigil in Chicago over the weekend. So besides praying, what else can our viewers do? Uh, please write to your uh, state reps. Please uh, ask them that the Christian persecution throughout the world, but especially in the Middle East, is skyrocketing. If this continues, really Christianity will now be able to survive in the Middle East, especially Turkey. Turkey, southern Turkey was a part of ancient Assyria. Those are our ancestral homeland. And uh, we are being pushed out systematically. So if you write to your state reps, we know that these people are not American citizens. However, there are brethren in Christ. So the U.S. can do a lot by putting even more pressure on the Turkish government. Turkish government is actually doing everything they can. But we can always apply more pressure for them to really take this a little bit more seriously, to bring these elderly parents home. Um, you know, just consider them your own parents. Uh, Father Hermes is, is in his 70s. Mother Shmoni is in her late, six, late 60s. So it's a matter of priority or not for the uh, Turkish government. But three Assyrian Christians were arrested in Turkey January 9th. One looked after a 1,500-year-old monastery. What can you tell us about that? Uh, so the monk, uh, the Assyrian monk, uh, also was arrested. They uh, accused him of aiding the PKK um, by providing him food. You know, when they come to uh, our people, what is important to know that they come at a gunpoint. They put so much pressure on our 
uh, on our Assyrian Christians there for food or to find directions out of a location. And at gunpoint, an innocent human being, an elderly or a monk in this case, what can they do when they are put, uh, they are put under such pressure? And if the Turkish government is not able to handle or stop the advancement of the PKK, what does a simple monk can do? Uh, still, uh, they are Turkish citizens. Uh, they abide by the laws as much as possible. This is why we appeal even more strongly to the Turkish government to really take this advancement of the PKK against the minorities, the Christians there, more seriously and really try to push them out as much as possible and protect its citizens. Okay. Well, Juliana Tamarazzi, Senior Fellow at the Philos Project, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Political protests are spreading in Iran, but so too is Christianity. The faith is spreading like wildfire across the Islamic Republic. Maybe a million or more Muslims have come to Christ. I talked recently with Mike Ansari of the Heart for Iran ministry about how recent pressures on the Iranian regime are affecting Christians in the Islamic Republic. Some of the young people especially are very frustrated with the regime, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're embracing Christianity. So how is it that they're coming to the Lord? It's very interesting because um, you're right, roughly about um, 50% of Iran's population is under 30, if not more. And many of these people are connected to the West. Uh, they're following our social media, the pop culture in the West, the Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga. Um, and uh, they're asking themselves the question, why is there such a, uh, such a division between their culture and their society and the one in the West? And they want to belong to the West. So many of them are asking the question, do I really want to be identified with the ideology and the lifestyle that the Iranian Muslims have set out for me? And they're saying, no, they're rejecting it flat out and they're gravitating to anything that is outside. Majority of them uh, are uh, researching and finding out more about the meaning of life. And quite a few are falling uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a personal challenge and journey, finding out more about Jesus. How is the government in Iran reacting to the spread of Christianity? But remember, Iran is an Islamic republic. It is not happy when it loses its Muslims to Christianity. Therefore, it has created a task force since 2010, in particular, where they're uh, uh, conducting raids on the underground house churches. They are arresting people. They're putting God's fear into them. Uh, as a matter of fact, just, uh, just this week, uh, we got callers calling us and telling us that after they contacted our call, our, our call center, um, uh, they were uh, contacted by Iranian intelligence, telling them that they have no right contacting the infidels uh, outside of Iran, meaning us. So uh, it shows that Iranian government is very, very frustrated. Um, there are rampant uh, um, uh, arrests and persecution. Uh, we hear every day from advocacy groups and, and human rights organizations about atrocities that Iranian minorities, not only Christians, but also Baha'is, Sunnis, and other factions are facing. It's a systematic harassment that Iranians are facing, and uh, simply because they do not have a choice to choose uh, anything they want to choose. And we know that Iranian women uh, face persecution just for not wearing, uh, covering their heads, wearing a scarf. Right. Regarding church growth, then, what role are women playing? Are they playing a significant role? Absolutely. The women of Iran are, are courageous, they're bold, they're strong. Uh, the, 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 very much at the forefront of the movement of the growth of Christianity in Iran. They're not afraid. Um, like Islam uh, portrays the woman's position to be uh, of being dominated by, by men and society, the Iranian women are courageous and they're standing up and they're leading the men 
uh, into uh, making a decision, decisions that is transforming Iran from inside out. A lot of Iranians are giving their heart to Christ, and a lot of underground churches that are connecting with us are being led by Iranian leaders that are women. Well, Dr. Mike Ansari with Heart for Iran, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Homeless numbers are surging in the San Francisco Bay Area, in Los Angeles, and other large U.S. cities. Are high-tech salaries and excessive property taxes partially to blame for driving up housing costs? Some high-tech companies on the West Coast are stepping in to help provide some help, but they say it's not up to them to solve the housing crisis. Michael Fisher is president of New York Central Park South Civic Association on the East Coast. Michael. Thanks for joining us. So we thought L.A. had a problem with a reported 36,000 homeless people in their city. But New York has 61,000, the highest number since the Great Depression. Why so many homeless in America at this time of unprecedented economic prosperity? Well, well, first of all, I'd like to make a slight correction. It's more like 80,000 homeless, which has seen a 17 percent growth since the, uh, Mayor de Blasio has taken office. As far as why we're seeing such a growth in the homeless population on the streets, it's because the politicians are just kicking the can down the road. They don't want to get involved with it. The majority of people that are on the streets are mentally ill. These are people who need rehabilitation. Uh, they, the, the shelters themselves are not going to help these people. They go into these shelters, they get beat up, they get robbed, they never want to go back into the shelters. What, what the government needs to do, and this is New York as well as California, Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, Seattle, Washington, et cetera, et cetera, is they need to put together facilities, contemporary facilities today to help people that are either mentally ill, maybe they're a drug addict, maybe they have issues with alcohol, but they need to, they need to have these facilities to rehabilitate these people, get them up to speed, then once, once they're off the drugs and everything, or, or alcohol, or maybe they're mentally ill and they're given medications to help them there, uh, then they can be trained, go out and get jobs, and uh, be placed in affordable housing and, and live a normal life. Out in California, I know Governor Gavin Newsom, he blames President Trump for the homeless problem in the Golden State, uh, saying that HUD's withholding information that uh, California needs to release funds to address the problem. So is Donald Trump to blame for homelessness there and in New York City? Well, first of all, uh, Mayor de Blasio is spending in excess of a billion dollars uh, in his second term. In his first term, he didn't do anything. Second term, a billion dollars to open up 90 shelters that he wants to open up in the most expensive areas in the city. So there are these slumlords that own these buildings are making millions and millions of dollars, and it doesn't address the people on the street. The people on the street don't go into these shelters. These shelters are addressing moving people from one building, one shelter to another, or it's addressing the issue where people have like these early release programs out of prison and they go into these shelters. But it's not addressing the actual people that are living on the streets. Trump has nothing to do with this issue. I mean, it, it, I know that Mayor de Blasio is trying to blame Trump uh, for his lack of affordable housing in New York City, but quite frankly, he can't blame Trump for this. You got to blame de Blasio for this because he's not helping people off the streets. Well, de Blasio is the mayor, is he not? So what needs to be done beyond this? I, I know that Amazon and Microsoft are committing hundreds of millions of dollars for an affordable housing program for low-income Americans, but you say it's mostly mentally ill people. So would that work at all? 
Well, I mean, I know that Amazon is is putting together a program, you know, for people that need shelters to come in at night and then once you know, overnight they stay there and then they leave the next day. But that's not really addressing the problem on the streets. Um, I think that, you know, what Google and Microsoft and all these other companies should be doing is sticking to what they do best, providing jobs. So how about we do this? How about we... Um, we rehabilitate. How about maybe if they want, they can contribute funding towards rehabilitation if they'd like, if they want to donate their money to, to the government. Although the government does have plenty of funding for that. But how about that the um, these companies provide jobs for these people? Once these people are rehabilitated, how about Microsoft and Amazon and some of these other large companies provide training and jobs for people for them to get into the you know. Uh, Shelter business, that's not their business. That's not what they do best. They do best creating jobs for people. Why don't they help the homeless people there? That would be great. Well, I, I know Amazon wanted to come into New York, but AOC got involved in that, and then they said forget it. So uh, beyond that, quickly, uh, what, can, what role can churches and ministries then play in all of this? Oh, a big role. I think that the problem with, the go the problem with government is they, they literally just they create smoke and mirrors. They create the, the impression that they're doing things, okay? For example, I know in New York, Mayor de Blasio, you know, cr creates this program called Turn the Tide Program. So he has all these fancy names. He spends millions of dollars on brochures. He should also be sitting down with the churches and meeting with them and find out ways and, and putting together programs, you know, working together with the churches to find ways that the churches can also help the homeless people. It'd be great if we could get a summit together between um, the mayor of New York, governor of New York, governor of uh, California, and mayors of the major cities in California, and some of the mayors and governors in some of the other states that are being impacted, you know, by this crisis, you know, where you're seeing people that are literally living in tents along streets, you see needles all over the place, people defecating in the streets. It's a terrible scenario. Let's have a productive meeting. Let's sit down and let's come up with some solutions to this problem. I don't think it's that complicated. I certainly would, would rather see politicians sitting down with the president and trying to come up with a solution than spending all this wasteful time on trying to impeach the president. Okay, instead of pointing fingers, maybe coming up with solutions. Michael Fisher, president of New York Central Park South Civic Association, thank you for sharing those insights. My pleasure, thank you. Battles on the front lines and at home. Since 9-11, Tens of thousands of Americans have fought honorably against terrorism in Afghanistan and the Middle East. We often hear about acts of heroism and how they struggled to survive on the battlefield. After many return home, a lifelong struggle begins. Well, our next guest is all too familiar with both the fight on the battlefield and the struggle for veterans on the home front. Tom Satterley was a senior non-commissioned officer of Delta Force. He served in the Army for 25 years. He's author of the new book, All Secure, a special operations soldier's fight to survive on the battlefield and the home front. Tom, thanks for being here. So I'm sure you have many stories to share. First, tell us about one from your book about rescuing hostages, capturing terrorists, that kind of thing. I'll tell you one story from the book that really sank home when, was when uh, we were in Iraq and we did a, a Hilo mission south of Baghdad. And it was supposed to be a wedding party with someone we were looking for. But on infill, one of our helicopters were, were hit with an RPG and subsequently crashed about 300 meters away. And once we gained entry, one of my assaulters 
got blown up with a with a terrorist with a grenade. He had shot him, but he dropped the grenade and got him in the room with him. And for that moment, I had one of those reoccurring nightmares of Somalia revisited to where the Black Hawk got shot down and people were getting injured and we were out away from any reinforcements. So the fear of that happening again struck home to me very, very deeply. And that kind of story rings with me more frequently than the high-level ones of Saddam Hussein capture or, or the Black Hawk Down one. It was being in leadership and being responsible for all those men on the ground. Tom, I'm sure like many soldiers who see their fellow troops and friends killed in battle, it's something you just can't forget. So how did that experience affect you when you returned home? You know, it affected me uh, physically, actually. I was destroying my life. I was reclusing to myself. I was shedding all my friends. I was ruining my family life and just started drinking. And with the over 13 different pills from the VA, I started abusing a lot of the pain medications. And my life just started to tank. And I realized one day when I was sitting in a car in um, Akron, Ohio, and I almost took my own life that that I had reached what I thought was the lowest point. But you'll find in the book that I actually reached a lower point even later before I could bounce back. But the weight of all that, the loss and the guilt and the shame, a lot of it was shame. It just kind of weighs on you and you don't, you don't understand how heavy that is until you reach that point. And that's when a lot of people reach out to us. It's, it's at a, a dire point in their life and they finally wanted to make a change or a difference. And many veterans just aren't the same person after war. I guess some family members just don't understand that and the war experience and how it's changed you. So what don't they get, Tom? It's hard on them, too. They, they don't understand that who came home is a better person than who left. They're just morally injured. They're, they're confused about what they've done. They're angry. Um, all the tools that they used to survive in combat are no longer needed. However, they don't know how to put those tools down, the anger, the aggression, the violence. And so they take it out on their family members and they, they all call saying, why am I so angry? Why do I yell at my family? Why do I ruin every holiday? And we just talk to them about letting go of those tools, you know, thanking the past for the tools they gave you, but they're no longer needed in society today. And I know for you, three marriages ended in divorce. As you said, you nearly killed yourself in 2014. How do you get beyond it, Tom? Uh, love, uh, the attachment to a tribe and having a purpose. I, at the time, I thought I had no purpose. I thought I was a burden to everyone in society and that my job was done and that I had no future. So once I had a tribe to connect to, I had love, the connection of my, my now wife, and I had a purpose and a desire to help others. That, that gave me my new mission. And is that the message? I'm sure that's the message you give to fellow veterans and those who are contemplating suicide or involved in substance abuse. Anything else you tell them? I tell them not to chase happiness. Everybody looks for happiness, either in more wealth or in a different job or in a different location. You know, the grass is always greener. Instead, I tell them to choose happiness daily and everything else will come. Okay, the book is All Secure, a special operations soldier's fight to survive on the battlefield and the home front. Tom Satterley, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Mark of the Beast alert or just smart commerce? Amazon, the world's leader in online shopping and shipping, is preparing to offer you a new way of making your purchases, biometrics. Just wipe your hand and beep, your purchase is complete.
The idea is to link your palm print to your credit card. You'll no longer have to risk losing your credit card or forgetting your PIN number or password. Hands down will have a whole new meaning. According to the Wall Street Journal, Amazon has contacted Visa, MasterCard, J.P. Morgan Chase, and others about linking credit cards to biometric handprint scanners and terminals. The New York Post reports Amazon has already tested the new payment system and plans to introduce the technology at its Whole Foods stores. Former CIA counterterrorism, counterintelligence, and staff investigator Kevin Ship warns this system will eventually be used to control purchasing. You see, we're heading into a brave new world where we'll be told hand, finger, and facial scans will make checkout easier for you. But remember, whomever or whatever controls the information can use it to control you. Folks, we need to keep an eye on this. Information can be stored not only to track our purchases, but also to learn about your bank accounts, credit cards, even to track our movements, who we are, where we go, what we do, what we buy, what charities and political groups we support. Ask Chinese Christians. The communist government there is using facial recognition software to track their movements. And a social credit system is in place to control them and others in Chinese society. That may come soon to the United States and elsewhere in the West. Can you imagine not being able to buy food or gasoline for your car because your biometric didn't work? Beep. Rejected. You have intolerant views about abortion, same-sex marriage, or guns. In the book of Revelation, chapter 13, 16, and 17, we're told that eventually everyone will be forced to, quote, receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. So is Amazon's new payment system the mark of the beast? No, not yet. Your fingerprints, face, and hands are wonderfully crafted by God not a beast. But microchip implants are already being used in animals and some humans, and requiring them for making purchases may be the next step. Let's be vigilant. Stay tuned. There's more to come. But not from us today. That's it from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.